from Flushing Meadows in New York City. We welcome you to Tennis Channel Live, our pregame coverage at the 2019 U.S. Open. Arthur Ashe Stadium under sunny skies on this Thursday for the most part after a very soggy Wednesday. Two months ago, very few people outside the tennis world knew Coco Goff's name. Tonight, 14,000 people will be screaming it. The 15-year-old phenom will be back on Armstrong for her second rounder, and the bandwagon is getting full. Naomi Osaka knows the feeling. Last year's U.S. Open champ dropped a set in her opener, but settled down and moved on. If she and Coco both win today, they will square off on Friday. And what is next for this man? Nick Kyrgios won on Tuesday, but he opened up another can of worms with his mouth. Will his tennis do the talking on grandstand tonight? With that, we say good morning to you from the Rocket Tennis Channel desk inside Arthur Ashe Stadium. Welcome to a Thursday edition of Tennis Channel Live at the U.S. Open alongside John Wertheim and Martina Navratilova and Jim Courier. I'm Brett Haver. The rest of our Tennis Channel team will be along throughout the morning as we bring you another three hours of pregame coverage. Uh, Thank goodness for those two roofs, because without them yesterday, we would have played no tennis at all. As it was, we completed nine matches. 22 got canceled because of the rain. What's your big takeaway from that uh, abbreviated Wednesday? Say, Serena Williams came in hot to this tournament. Draw comes out. She has Maria Sharapova, her longtime nemesis, in round one. And Serena locks into the tournament. She's up to the task, plays dazzling tennis. Her second round match yesterday much different set of circumstances. She plays a teenager who was born after Serena had already won a major. Serena did not have her best stuff against Katie McNally, but it was good enough. That is part of winning this tournament. You're not always going to be at your best. In our eyes, our bloodshot eyes, Serena is rounding into form quite well. My takeaway is uh, the roof is, roofs are great, great for tennis, great for TV, great for the audience. Not great for the top players who get to play. Not so good for some other guys, particularly on the men's side, who now have to play back-to-back -back matches. For example, Luca Pui will play uh, Daniel Evans to play Roger Federer tomorrow. And then also Alex Deminar and um, Christian Garin will play Nishikori. They already had tough matches. They will play today. It's going to be physical. And they got Nishikori waiting for him tomorrow. So tough for the guys because of the weather. Yeah, and the best of five is, is the point, isn't it? Exactly. And that's someone like Daniel Medvedev, who's one of the big favorites outside of the top three this year. So one of the players who will find himself in that situation going back to back. If he's winning today, he'll be back out there tomorrow. But a silver lining for him, if he's looking in his section of the draw, Novak Djokovic is his quarterfinal opponent if they both get there. Djokovic was assumed to be a lock to get there until last night when he revealed in match and then after the match in his interview, he's having problems with his left shoulder that have been there for a couple of weeks. He's been in pain. It dropped his backhand speed about five miles an hour. That's sizable. His serve is uncomfortable. So Djokovic's health has now become a story. That could be an opportunity for someone like Daniel Medvedev. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. The silver lining for us, the fans, is that with yesterday's cancellations, we have an action-packed Thursday here on the grounds. Here's some of what we have coming up for you on the show. The seven train is just about to arrive in the station with the big storylines of day four. We will look back at what the Rockhampton Rocket did 50 years ago this week. That is the <laughs> calendar year. God bless Squeeze you, Jim. Uh, Grand Slam for the second <laughs> time and John's unstrung today will give Jim some tissues and also look at the <laughs> blue collar workaday pros that we call journeymen he'll explain why they deserve our respect 
a little bit later on in the show. We do want to take a look at uh, social media on this Thursday morning. Martina mentioned Roger Federer getting through. He did drop a set in his match yesterday, and the ATP sent out a tweet yesterday pointing out that no player has won the U.S. Open after losing the first set in his first two matches, and that goes all the way back to 1912. Oh. I'm smelling Greg Sharko's fingerprints on, <laughs> on these, uh, these keystrokes, but yes, that is, that is a fact. That's an interesting little tidbit, but history likes to be challenged. I wouldn't put too much weight in that. Talking about Roger Federer here, so nobody's ever won 20 majors either on the men's side. So. That's a good point. Keep, keep in mind, he lost in Cincinnati in straight sets, and there was a Wimbledon final where he lost the first set, so four of his last five matches he's lost mm -hmm. the first set now. That's a streak I suspect you'd like to add. I smell Sharko's fingerprints on that, and I also smell a calzone. I don't know how those two things are <laughs> It's a breakfast connected. calzone. Who knows? Uh, we, we have a lot to get to. <laughs> if you know Sharko, you get that uh, on this Thursday. There's the seven train. We're going to hop aboard. Serena's in the lead car today. We'll break down all the Thursday storylines when we come back to New York. Back on TC Live and a quick reminder as we gaze over the puffy clouds behind the Unisphere that you can download the Tennis Channel app today. Best way to stream Tennis Channel and TC Plus and all the other free on-demand content all in one place. It is available right now for all your devices in all the App Store locations. So, weather today. We don't like making promises we can't keep, but we feel pretty confident about this one. It's going to be better than yesterday. Dry forecast start to finish. Warmest day of the Open so far, high up to 85, and that's good because we've got some catching up to do. Here's the rundown of the Raymond James feature matches on Arthur Ashe Stadium today. We start with Big Foe. He had a great start to the Grand Slam year in Australia, would like to finish the same way. Gets the sixth seed, Sasha Zverev. Then it's Wimbledon champ Simona Halep taking on American Taylor Townsend. Two-time finalist here, Caroline Wozniacki against the former UVA star, Danielle Collins. And Rafa with the nightcap against the Aussie Tanasi Kokonakis. All right, it is time for our daily ride on the 7 train. As you know, it's the best way to get out here to the open. Also, our daily vehicle for exploring the seven big storylines unfolding at the U.S. Open. Let us hop right onto car number one, which is occupied by Serena Williams. The six-time U.S. Open champion playing the teenager Katie McNally last night, making her U.S. Open debut. And John, the teenager, jumped out to a quick start. She did. Not an easy situation for either player. Big moment for Katie McNally. And she was up to it. This is the first set here. She got a late break from Serena and closes it out. Everyone on your feet. Then Serena locked in, and it was a much different match in the second and third set. A much different match for Serena than her first match against Sharapova. Serena served quite well. Movement didn't look quite as good as it was in the first round. She ends up getting through this fairly handily. But Katie McNally, let's pause and acknowledge that she really handled this occasion gracefully. But she looked decidedly unafraid of the situation and of Serena. Maybe maybe she's just young enough not to be. Afraid. Exactly. As you said two months ago, we didn't know anything about, no, most people didn't know anything about Coco Gauff, nor did they know about Katie McNally. Now both announced their arrival. And Katie really handled the situation beautifully and has a fun game to watch. So I think this is, uh, well, she's 17, uh, a lot to look forward to. So. Really another great teenager uh, on the American scene. Martino, what did you think when you saw Katie McNally serve and volley ah, on Saturday? All right. <laughs> she, was she wasn't at the net that many more times than Serena, but she was serving and volleying, which you know, I don't know if I've ever seen Serena do. But anyway, it's just nice to see somebody mixing it up a little bit and, and, and being quite comfortable. Yeah, she was net. impressive. 
you know, between Katie McNally and Coco Goff and Amanda Anasimova and Emma Navarro and Haley Baptiste and more names that we don't have time to mention, how good is the shape that the, the next wave of, of American women is in? Yeah, absolutely. On the women's side, it looks good. We want to extend this to North America. We would include Bianca Andreescu, the 14th seed as well. But a lot, you know, we were talking a few years ago, will there ever be another teenage star? Have we moved on to a point where the sport is so physical it needs adults to play it? Katie McNally doesn't turn 18 until Thanksgiving, and she takes a set off Serena Williams. Nine American teenagers are in the top 300 on the women's side right now. That bodes very well for the future as we move on to car number two, which is for big sister Venus, whose U.S. Open ended yesterday, taking on the five-seed Alina Svitolina. Venus played some inspired tennis, especially late in the match, but Martina, she could not fight off well, Svitolina. Venus played a much better match in the first round, but also her opponent wasn't that good. Svitolina just makes you hit so many more balls than you used to. Ran a lot of balls down. Actually, this match could have been easier for Svitolina. She was only four of 17 on break points. Uh, but Venus fought valiantly, but just didn't have enough against very steady and aggressive, aggressive enough Svitolino yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the point, isn't it? That the matchup is not great for Venus yeah. here. She has to be razor sharp in an environment where she's playing a player who can defend the court so well and turn defense into offense. So Svitolina just a little bit too tough in this situation. And, and I guess, Brett, I'm going to steal your thunder here a little bit. What do we think for Venus? Is the Olympics sort of the end game for her? Is that the target next year? Does that keep her going? What's the what's the scenario? What do you think, John? She would be a, a round number 40. I honestly don't think she's thinking in those terms. I think she's very comfortable with just going to work and competing. And her days of winning majors may be behind her. Some days she looks terrific, as she did in the first round. A day like yesterday doesn't quite have that extra gear. There was a very long applause late in the second set. I don't know if you thought that was a six match point for Svitolina. In the previous game, Venus saved five match points. There was an extended applause in between games, and you had a feeling that there was a lot wrapped into that from the crowd. Do we know if we'll ever see Venus again? I suspect we will, though. Uh, we, we hope so. 52 in the world right now. She's going to lose some points losing in the second round, but hopefully she makes it at least to the Olympics next year. Car three is for Roger Federer. And uh, look, another slow start for the five-time champ. Second match in a row, he's lost the opening set, this time to Damir Zumher. He looked downright scratchy in that first set, Yeah, this, this had uh, so many echoes of his first-round match against Nagal, where he was scratchy in the first set. Brett, he made 19 unforced errors in that first set against Nagal, 17 and yesterday. But then he tightened it up. He only made 28 unforced errors over the next three sets. Wonderful movement from Federer. Uh, nice mix of his game. Look, Jumer played well. He's a great backhand, and he's a good mover. So I asked you guys if you were concerned about the slow start on Monday, and you pretty much all said uh, no. So let me now re-ask the question after a second slow start. Any concerns now, sir? Not really. Um, I watched a good chunk of that match, and honestly, I thought Federer moved awfully well. If you look at the stat sheet, didn't, I mean, the second serve was sort of what stuck out. He won fewer than half his second serve points. But if you had watched the last 90 minutes of that match, you'd say Roger Federer looks in great form. I think just a slow start. He shook it off and, and moved on. What do you think, Marty? I'm not too worried. Also, Jumor is a much better quality opponent. I mean, he had to play some really, really good tennis. He's, I still think that he's still shaking off Wimbledon. I think he's just Wimbledon. not 100% ready at the beginning of the match, but then when push comes to shove, he gets it together. So I think it's more emotional than anything else. Physically, he looks fantastic, and I think he'll turn it up as the tournament goes. How nice it must be to feel so badly about your game and still win comfortably <laughs> in four sets <laughs> exactly. and be into the third round again. Roger Federer exists on a plane that, that only Martina on this desk can relate to because you could win easily in your matches and maybe not feel great about it also. But for Federer, obviously, the, what's going to happen in week two? 
assuming he gets there. That's what it's all about. Is he rounding into shape there? He didn't. He only got two matches between Wimbledon and the first round of the U.S. Open here. So he needs the matches. And he's yeah. getting it, getting it going. You, you mean an RV vacation with the family is not yeah. great U.S. Open preparation? I mean, Vegas. Is he driving it? Hard time picturing that, but uh, apparently it happened. <laughs> uh, let's go on to car number four. That's for Novak Djokovic, the world number one, taking on Juan Ignacio Landero yesterday, and he had a, a weird start in the first two ma uh, two sets of this match as well, guys. Yeah, this was a, a strange match. Djokovic was down 5-1 in the second set. Uh, ended up winning that set in a breaker and rolled out that match 6-1, which is ironic because he was treated for that left shoulder injury. Look, he's holding his racket with his right hand, not his left. The shoulder is sort of the big takeaway, but he finished strong. I think even though it's the off shoulder, yeah. it's not the right one, which is good news, but it's still two-hander. And even for a one-hander, I know when I've had a problem with my right shoulder, it affects your movement, the way you play, the way you feel. I just hope that he'll be okay. Apparently, this has been ongoing, but uh, he's got a great trainer, so hopefully it's he'll get it sorted out. It's affecting his serve, not just his backhand, yeah. too. That's the army uses the toss, so perhaps the rhythm off. He only served 51% first serves in play. He's normally a mid-60s percentile server, so that's a big deal. If he's not able to solve this, he said in his post-match presser that he's hoping with treatment and the right medical advice that he'll be able to limit the pain, if not eliminate it, but he definitely was in a lot of discomfort in the match, and that should be provided a lot of comfort for players in his section of the draw. All right, so it'll be either Dennis Kudla or Novak's countryman Dushan Lajevic in the third round, depending upon what happens today. Let's go to car number five. That is for Ash Barty, and Ash was on Armstrong yesterday, the Roland Garros champ taking on American Lauren Davis. Davis actually had set point on Barty, up 5-4 in the second, but Martina, the world number two, wiped it away and took care of business. Well, again, Ash Barty did not do a good job on break point. She was 4 of 18. This match should have been a lot easier for her. Down set point, as you said, in that second set. But she brought it together nicely, played a really solid tie break, and just had too much firepower for uh, the spunky Lauren Davis. you got to love Lauren the way she hustles around the court. But Ash, just too much game at the end. The crowd was absolutely loving yeah, right. Lauren Davis. Mm. They, they, I mean, I don't know if it was empathy for the amount of strapping she had on her <laughs> left leg or just her general pluckiness. But this was a really fun matchup to watch because Ash Barty had to use all the tricks up her sleeve to get through that. Ash Barty's got a lot of tricks. So there is so much variety to her game. Watch this about Ash Barty, though. Her next opponent may well be Maria Sakari of Greece, who beat her on the hard courts of Cincinnati just two weeks ago. But as Martina said, that was a very nice tiebreak to end out match for Ash Barty. She is so fun to watch, though. A quick one. I just did some stats, and Ash Barty runs three times as much than Serena Williams during her matches because she <laughs> just right? plays much longer points. That's how short Serena keeps her points, and that's how long Ash Barty plays. Thank Lauren Davis for that as well. That too. Where is she on your list of favorites yeah. to win this tournament, Martina? Well, top five. I would say top five, but um, Clay is, I mean, I'm sorry, hard courts are not her best surface. The slice sits up, the ball is bouncing a little bit slower and higher here, but still, she's got a great game. If she if she believes that she can win, then she can, but I would still put her in top five. Remember, Ash can also reclaim the number one ranking if she wins two more matches and Naomi Osaka does not win the title. Let's go to car number six. That is for the seven-footer. Riley Opelka had a golden opportunity to make the third round playing the German qualifier Dominic Kupfer last night, but what happened, Jim? Yeah, some, some uh, slow starts for Opelka in this first set really cost him. His first serve percentage was below 50%. And that's a big piece of the puzzle for him. He struggled on second serve points. The German Kopfer, coached by an American, Ryan Williams, who uh, recently retired. And they've had a nice partnership. That They're fast rising right now. The Tulane graduate 
uh, getting the better end of Riley Opelka for sure in this match. And the margins, they're going to be small with Opelka. They just are. He struggles to break serve at this stage of his career. But he's a, listen, he has come a long way in a year. He's a top 50 player. He's dangerous to anyone that he plays. But there are days when he can also um, knock himself out with some unforced errors. But let's pay respects to Cope for the qualifier. Is going to be a career-high ranking of 103 if he loses his next round. So he's, he's going to be a name to follow going forward also. Nice nod for College Tennis Cup for the second leader in match wins at Tulane. But I, I wonder about Riley Opelka. Does he leave here thrilled? He's going to probably be in the top 40. Very good chance he can be seated by Australia. Beat number 11. Beat Fonini in the first round. Or is this a stinging disappointment that second round match against a qualifier he didn't come through? Look, he's so tall. It's a different ball game for him. I mean, when the ball is low, he's got to go such a long way to get down there. I think it takes longer for players to develop but that are really tall or they also play an all-around game. And he, he's got all, both, both of those things going on so I think he's far much further ahead than uh, than John Isner was at this point he's still young and he's still I mean he seems to want it really bad he does so that's a great he does and to answer your question John he's going to be very mad he's going to be very angry initially hopefully this morning he'll have you know rebalanced a little bit but but Riley gets fired up and he will definitely feel the sting of that loss. All right, let's go to the caboose now. Card number seven is for Coco Mania. Coco Golf is at it again. Hits the U.S. Open with full force. Won her first round match and gets Babos today. Yeah, playing a hard-serving veteran in Babos. You wonder if she's looking ahead a little bit to a potential third-rounder against Naomi Osaka. I credit, again, I really credit the USTA here. We're all trying to balance sort of hype with reason. She is playing the night match, but she's not on the big stadium. She's on Armstrong. She's under the lights. And you've got this phenomenal 15-year-old story. How do you hide her on court 47? But also, I think we're all a little bit sort of tenuous and tentative about how much are we going to build this up. Oh, look, the economic realities will also drive this decision. When during the rain delay yesterday, ESPN put Coco's match a replay on because, ladies and gentlemen, that's what people want to see. During Wimbledon, the highest-rated matches in the first week all involved Coco Goff. There are real realities here that the business people who are investing in this sport have to respect. And Coco, whether you want the hype or not, she is definitely worth the eyeballs and the attention right now. That's just reality. So, so you want to know more of the reality of these young American women? We always do on the 7 train. Car 1 and the caboose, car seven, as the two most important stories of the day. What were they? Yeah, car seven, one, Katie McNally. Car yeah. seven, Coco Goff. Yeah. All right. Hope you enjoyed the ride today. Uh, the seven train will be hauling into the station every day around this time to dissect the big storylines. Much more to come on TC Live day four in New York. Back on TC Live, and next month it will be the third annual Laver Cup competition going to be in Geneva this year. So that's a, a home game for Roger. He and Rafa will both be part of Team Europe. Kyrgios and Isner part of Team World, among others. Live coverage of the Laver Cup begins September 20th here on Tennis Channel. Talking about the American men, there were 16 to start the tournament. Five are still alive. All five play today, including Tennis Sandgren, who pulled off the upset Tuesday over Sanga and last year's Kalamazoo champion Jensen Brooksby, who beat Tomas Burdick in the first round. As we rejoin you on Tennis Channel Live, saying good morning to Paul Anacone and James Blake. Guys, let's... Uh, dive a little deeper on some of the Americans and we'll start with John Isner who is on today against Jan Leonard Struff. I was thinking about John's run to the quarters last year. He had to play a couple of five setters in the first week and when he got to the second week he was out of gas. James uh, how important is it for John to get through week one on the efficient side? 
Well, I think that's huge. And the way he returned against Guillermo Garcia Lopez was, was big for him uh, and getting through it quickly. And, you know, you see the big bodies. Riley Opelka was pulling up a little lame towards the end. And for John Isner, if he has those five setters, I think it's going to be really tough for him to make an actual deep run. So uh, getting through it quickly, it's going to be important today as well. Yeah, that, that first round win in straight sets is huge. It's always tough quantitatively to go how much does it matter. But for John Isner, after coming off the injury this year, to come through a first round in straight sets, feel comfortable and to be able to get a little bit of rest is a great sign. Speaking of getting rest, uh, this is one of the first tournaments he's played in recent times where his wife and daughter are not traveling because they're <laughs> expecting another child. In all seriousness, I talked to his dad the other day. He said, you know, John's getting to sleep in a little bit more. He's not on uh, Hunter Grace's rhythms anymore. And that seemed to do him a world of good. Not, I'm sure he misses his family. And they're home for good reasons, waiting for the birth of uh, their first son. But Isner was razor sharp, and you can see he was not happy with his form coming into this tournament. That was a really important win, not just from the, the W standpoint, also the style. He dominated. No tiebreakers. That says a lot about the way he's returning. I think that's a really good sign. Here's uh, John's section of the draw. He could meet Chilich in the third round and then likely Nadal in the fourth round if he gets that far. Could you see John winning either or, dare I say, both of those matches? I think we got to just take a deep breath. Uh, Jan Leonard Struff is a yeah. very tough competitor. This is going to be a great test for John Isner. I think can, 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 absolutely. But for Struff, this is a guy that also has a lot of power, has a lot of length. Yeah. So he gets his racket on a lot of balls and hits a ball big enough where John may struggle right away to get the first strike in. Very important for Isner to stick to his game plan and set the tone really early in the match. You mentioned the injury, which affects him for the first half of this year it was a stress fracture in his foot. Jim, did, did, how's his movement look to you? Does it look a 100% to where I think, it normally is? I think he's getting there, and I think confidence adds to uh, elegance in his movement. If he's a little unsure of himself, he can be a little bit clumsy out there, but when he's got the adrenaline, he's got the confidence out there, it all starts to flow, and he's also playing less defense when he's more confident because he swings harder, more comfortable with his forehand side. You know, we talked about the, the bottom half of the draw yesterday, how it kind of blew open. You look at this section, mm -hmm. you know, it's the tough, it's the third quarter that's open. It's not in the doll section. Yeah. That is thick as thieves with danger. Uh, so John has won all three meetings against Jan Lennard Struff, including here at the Open in 2014. Uh, other Americans, Francis Tiafoe will be on Ash later this morning against the sixth seed, Sasha Zverev. James, you've been doing some hitting with Francis. He got through uh, Ivo Karlovic in the first round. Karlovic retired in the third set. What, what did you like about Francis in that performance? I, I loved how he did mentally. He knew beforehand that there was a chance Ivo was struggling with, with a little back injury. And to go out there against an Ivo Karlovic that could be compromised, it's very easy easy to get ahead of yourself and start trying to take uh, take it a little too easy on your serve and not really focusing on that. He did an excellent job mentally and that's what he's been working on is just being exceptionally professional doing everything he needs to do to get these wins and, and he did that uh, on that day and he's got a you know, it's a totally different matchup now today against Sasha Zverev, but he's going to be prepared. Um, and, and I love his attitude now going into this. And having that one win, I think, is very important. It's one of his three top ten wins in his career, and that's a big one to go in there with confidence, knowing that he's beaten Sasha Zverev. And Zverev having a five-setter in the first round uh, will also help Francis. That's our Tennis Express head-to-head -head between Sasha and Francis. All four of those meetings coming in the second round of tournaments. Paul, if you were going to give Foa a game plan today against Zverev, what might it be? Well, I think he's got a good one. He doesn't have to do too many things differently. Look, we know uh, Sasha Zverev's had kind of a choppy year. He, he won his first match in five sets against a very feisty Radu Albot. It's going to be a different story today because Tiafo's got enough firepower. I think the cross-court 
court to cross court forehand pattern is a good one for Francis. Will create some short balls that then he can dictate play. And we all know Zverev struggled a little bit with the second serve lately, Jim. So yep. Francis needs to jump on that. Yeah, you might get some opportunities there. Maybe even some double faults, which has been a little bit of a pattern with Zverev. But also, court positioning is really important. Uh, I think if Francis is able to hug the baseline, something Zverev is not very good at is holding the baseline. He backs off and backs off and tries to play defense with his lanky long frame. You can then use the angles and the drop shots. Not sure Francis loves the drop shot that much, but angles, short angles, could be very effective against Sasha Zverev. All right, so this is uh, Francis's fifth time playing the U.S. Open. He's never made the third round, has a chance to change that today. Uh, Tennis Sandgren also playing. Vashek Pospisil today. Both of those guys chopped down some pretty big trees big in their last match. Sandgren over Sanga, Pospisil over Hatchinoff. What a big opportunity right for one of those guys to make the third round. Yeah, and it really is. And when Tennis Sandgren is at his best as he was in beating Sanga, he's just rock solid on the ground. He's a terrific mover. He's sound on both sides. And against Pospisil, a player who can ride the elevator from a from a momentum standpoint in a, in a match, you know, if you can stay sound and solid, you can get him on the dip. So for, for tennis, it's about being very stable out there on the court, wait for Pospisil to kind of lose his way, and then ride out the ups, because Pospisil has huge upside when he gets going as well. Yeah, and we saw Pospisil's upside against Hatchinoff. That is a very dangerous opponent. We know how good Karen Hatchinoff is for Pospisil to win that in five sets after the injury, coming back from the injury for, for Vasek this year. It was a very big win, but uh, I think Pospisil's got to serve well and try to put pressure on the Sangren serve very early in the match. Yeah, I think Sangren can be, as Jim said, rock solid and he's helped by Mike Russell who is uh, the epitome of rock solid as well and I think he's going to get him prepared mentally which is what he needs to be because he's got to ride those ups and downs and I think I think he'll do a great job and I think he'll just be a little too solid for Pospisil today. Sandgren playing in his third U.S. Open as a direct entry prior to that he tried to qualify six times and never got in so good to see Sandgren in on his ranking. Lots more to come on TC Live that is Sophia Kennan and her dad in pursuit. She will take on Laura Sigmund of Germany. When we come back, we'll talk about the American women with Mary and Lindsay and the squad. We have so many matches on this beautiful Thursday in New York because of all the rain from yesterday, and an awful lot of Americans are going to be in action as well. Uh, of course, we're going to be watching to see what happens with Coco Golf against Tamia Babos as we head inside the rocket desk. It's going to be a fun day. Mary, you know, to use those apps, you have to have your phone. Did you find your phone? <laughs> we found it. Um, every yeah. Grand Slam we go through this. Every Mary. Grand Slam, I, I lose, make... lose a phone, but I went out of my way this time. I had left it because we get here so early. Don't not say where the, it was. Not all the bathrooms are open. It's oh, no, no, okay. Okay, enough details. Too much information. <laughs> Moving too much. All right. <laughs> now I can download that app. All right, kids. Let's first talk about Allie Risk, Paul Anacone, who's having... An unbelievable hardcore summer, an unbelievable romantic summer. She got married, turned pro. One blood almost okay. Is she, is she going to beat Yelena Ostapenko today? I think so. I think she's the favorite. Yeah. Look, Ali Risk has had such a great year on so many levels, personal and professional. Um, to see her win in her tag and Bosch, to see her get to the quarters at Wimbledon and play such great tennis, lose a tough match to Serena. I think she's really now just seeing how good she can be, okay, what yep. she can do against great players. And in the first round, did such a nice job against Muguruza. She loses the first set 6-2. 
I think maybe a year, two years ago, Allie Risk starts to doubt. Not now. She goes on after that and wins 6-1-6-3. Been so impressive to watch the maturation, the self-belief, and I expect it's going to continue. How about, she, a, wait, how about a tough drop? Yeah. Playing Muguruza in the first round to play Ostapenko. Now Ostapenko isn't playing the same way as a couple of years ago, but that's, that's not a cakewalk there. Yeah. And Martina, yes. at 29 years old, Ali Risk is showing us her best ever tennis. Well, again, she's got that kind of game that takes a while to develop, and, uh, and so much of it is uh, not just playing by instant, but really putting it all together when you have to, and the belief, and I think everything's just coming together for her nicely, I think, off the court, on the court. And uh, I mean, she, she just loves playing tennis, yeah, and really you can does. see that, you know, she loves to compete. She loves everything that, that it takes to become a good tennis player. Oh, she's a on. very good hardcore and grass court player, another very fine hardcore player. We saw at the Australian Open when Danielle Collins made her unbelievable run. Lindsay, she plays an Australian Open champion yeah. in Wozniacki. Do we like Danielle Collins' chances? You know, it's been interesting. We've seen a couple of different sides of Danielle Collins, and we talked about this with Sloan yesterday. Certain players need that energy and need that spark, and for whatever reason, for Danielle Collins, it hasn't been there the last few months. She hasn't won more than two matches in a tournament since Charleston back in April, and a player who started the year so hot was playing some of her best tennis in Melbourne. We'll see. Maybe the New York energy, maybe the New York crowd will give that to her here. Yeah. It's not an easy task to beat Wozniacki on any surface, on any day. I don't care what she's ranked now. Wozniacki fought so hard in her first round. She yeah. was down. She was out. Came back to get a gritty three-set win. She's going to make Collins hit a lot of balls. How is Collins going to end the points? Is she going to come in? Can't she make five, six ground strokes every rally? That's a, a big challenge for her today. Is she going to try to make five or six every rally, or is she going to try to break open the points? you got to go for the right shot against Wozniacki. Yeah. Can't go Ruth reckless. And, and Wozniacki has had some terrific U.S. Open. She's got a lot of fond memories of this joint, right? I think the think? big I think the big thing for Caro is she hasn't had a great year, right? She's no. only 14 and 12. You talked about her ranking, Lindsay, number 19 in the world. But great players still summon the energy. They summon the motivation at these events. I expect Caro to do great things. So difficult to finish the point. As Lindsay said, what the great defenders do is shrink the targets. How disciplined can Danielle Collins be in trying to exploit the targets without overplaying? Well, Zinaki has the determination, the, the focus, everything that it takes. But her body is the big question mark with the rheumatoid arthritis that she finally figured out she had a couple of years ago. It's a struggle. She never knows how she's going to feel every, every day. Some days are great, some days not so great, so she's got a lot to battle, but she's still out there competing, and it's great to see. Martina, talking about variety, Taylor Townsend mm. has shown an awful lot of it and a lot of promise for a long time, and she's, she's playing well. Can Taylor Townsend do anything against the Wimbledon champion Simona Halep today? Let's hear about her leftiness. Come on, Martina. Come on. Uh, well, she you like the way she plays? I love the way she plays. She needs to give, be more explosive on the court. And against playing somebody like Simona Halep, who gets every ball back, 3-0, Simona Halep has, has been her easily every single time they played and this court is not going to be friendly for for taylor she needs a little faster court uh she will compete but uh i think she'll make simona work for it and she's got a beautiful game but she needs to get in better shape i think she knows it because that her game she needs to be so precise and to be precise you have to have great footwork 
to have great footwork and be in great shape. And she's not quite there yet, but she's working on it, and she's so much fun to watch. What, what a great thing for Taylor this tournament. She's gotten to the second round the hard way, going through qualifying, winning her first round. Yeah. And I think that will give her some confidence, whether she wins today against Halep or not. To come through qualies at the U.S. Yeah. Open, that is really tough to do. Win her first round, and now she gets an opportunity out on Ash against the Wimbledon champion. I think no matter what happens in this match, I think she can leave here with a lot of confidence. It's interesting about Halep because, all right, so last year she won the French Open and it relaxed her and it's the weight's off. Then this year she wins Wimbledon, beating, beating Serena in 56 minutes. Paul, is she relaxed again? And if she is relaxed, does that mean that Simona Halep might sort of low-key work her way into the championship round here because she can play looser tennis? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, the first-round match here with Gibbsy was a terrific effort. She was on the ropes, had to battle through adversity. We talked about it in the earlier segments with Roger Federer. You know, how good are you in average moments? What do you do in these moments where you're not playing great? And, and Gibbsy really did such a great job in that match, yeah. pushing Halep. I think for her to win a match like that early on can free her up and allow Simona Halep to do what we saw in England, which is start to play real aggressive, start to use that great footwork and court positioning. So so it's going to be important, I think, for Halep to not be too reactive early in this match. Try to set a tone that she can dictate and make the points lateral early on. I think for Halep, this is a, I, I think you'll be pretty happy with your draw. Two players outside the, t the top 100 in the first two rounds. Big hitters have beaten her here the last few years. Maybe Taylor can do something with her variety. So much depends on Halep and her attitude. Yeah. Is she complaining to her box? Is, or is she focused on the task at hand? Is she going for her shots? Is she thinking clearly? And I think that in this kind of draw, she's able to work her way through the first round. She was very nervous for her first round here. Had lost in the opening round two years in a row. Exactly. She can relax now that she got that win under uh, over Gibbs. Yeah, I think Simona got over that hump. And most of all, I think, again, the way she played and the way she composed herself against Serena in that Wimbledon final, that should give her confidence, not just for the, this tournament, but pretty much the rest of her career, because she did it all. And whenever she starts doubting herself, she's like zipping back into uh, July, whatever that day was when she beat Serena, and, and get into that mindset because it worked beautifully. And there's no reason not to do it again. Yeah. All right. Focused, but relaxed at the same time. All right, we'll see what happens. All right, we're going to take another break. Plenty of more to come your way just starting off on Tennis Channel Live on this gorgeous Thursday, Flushing Meadows. Back on TC Live, make sure to make tennis.com your online information source during the U.S. Open. Log on today for all the latest news and updates from Flushing Meadows, plus check out daily exclusive columns and videos, all that content and more at tennis.com. Here is the rundown of matches on Armstrong today. Two-time Wimbledon champion Petra Kvitova takes on the veteran from Germany, Andrea Petkovic. World number one, Naomi Osaka, second on against Magda Lynette of Poland, who won in the Bronx last week. Isner and Struff wrap up the day session. Coco Golf opens the night session against Babos. And the 2014 champ, Marin Cilic, gets Cedric Marcel Steba of Germany. Naomi Osaka on Armstrong today. She was on Ash on Tuesday, back for the first time since lifting the trophy here 51 weeks ago. She did drop a set against Anna Blinkova, but came through in three, and her title defense is underway. And so as Charles Schwab helps us look at Naomi trying to own her tomorrow, uh, where is she at? She said she was uh, nervous on Tuesday going back onto Ash. I suppose that that's understandable, right? Absolutely. I think the first time you go to defend a Grand Slam, there is a different vibe, a different atmosphere. 
Um, and for Osaka especially, what happened last year on that court in that final match, having to go back out there. It was an interesting match against Blinkova where it, the first set, Blinkova got off to a big lead. What I loved in this match was the attitude of Osaka. She had that energy. There was lots of fist pumps. There's lots of looking up to her box. Had a match point in the second set, didn't win it, and was able to rebound early in the third. Sometimes it's frustrating for a player. They want so badly to go back to where they were playing last year and that great tennis, and she's, she's trying hard to get that back. It's been an emotional roller coaster for Osaka. There's such a big change to her life that happened after she won the, the Open last year. And, you know, it's, we can't wrap our head around it. We can't just relate to it. When you're a big fish in a small pond, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. as she is in Japan, it just changes everything, and she's still getting used to it. And, and bear in mind, yes, she has two major titles, but, Martina, she only has three titles overall. <laughs> big player, big time player. She loves the big stage. She plays her best tennis when it matters the most. And uh, again, as Lindsay said, when you're a defending champion, it, it makes a difference. Sometimes it can be a hamper, but I found it I, I, like I own the place. OK, you know, you, you got you got that strut going and, you know, it, it's new for her, but still you can play by memory and you can um, it, it can make you play better and hopefully that'll be the case with the Naomi here and it's also hard to defend a Grand Slam title when you know you haven't played your best tennis for a few months right. and today it's not an easy task against Magda Lynette let Magda Lynette she's won nine matches in a row she's mm -hmm. coming off a title win interesting reading about Osaka's year eight of her ten losses have been to players outside the top 20 these yeah. are the matches she has struggled yeah. to get through this year if she's able to get a few matches under her belt get into the second and we look out, but she really needs to prove herself this week that her tennis is there. We'll take a look at her section of the draw. Obviously, the, the number one seat is right there at the top. It's Lynette now, and then a possible meeting with either Coco Goff or Tamea Babosh. I can't even begin to think of what the Osaka Goff showdown well, might be that, like. That would be a night match, but they both need to get there first. And Osaka, Lynette, head-to-head, one-and-one. Lynette is a dangerous player. She played well last week, won the tournament. She does not give you anything. If you're not on top of your game, she will give you a fit. So this is an uncomfortable matchup for Osaka. Actually. She's an incredible player, but the one thing I want to ask you two guys, having lived the crucible of being number one and a Grand Slam champion like she's starting to live now, she's not particularly comfortable with the spotlight. Is there anything she can do, LD, as she walks through the world as a Grand Slam champion to sort of mitigate the pressure and, and enjoy this thing that she's going through? You know, there's so few people that have gone through what she's gone through. It's not just becoming a Grand Slam champion. I mean, she is a worldwide superstar now. And I think for her, that happened really overnight. I mean, in, of course, in our tennis world, we knew she was coming. We knew she was going to be good. But she has exploded onto the scene, yeah. backed up then with another Grand Slam. So I think there's very few who could really relate to her with what she goes through. I think it's hard for her to walk down the streets now. Yeah. And that's much different than, oh, I'm going to a tennis tournament. I get recognized everywhere. I think it'll take a little bit of time for her to get used to that. Maybe it'll happen in a year. Her personality doesn't seem to be the type that craves that kind of attention. So I, I think it will take her some time. I think we've seen some of that this year, just being a little bit more uncomfortable with where she's at. She's going to get used to it, though. You know, it's funny because you're introvert. I'm an introvert. But when we won the majors, our life didn't change. When I won Wimbledon, I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to get a commercial with American Express now. Do you know me? I thought my <laughs> life was going to change. It didn't. Nobody cared but my family. But now with the social media and worldwide attention to the sport, it's just so different. Everybody's in a fishbowl now when they win a major. So we can't really relate to it. And being an introvert does, is not helpful in the situation. So. Yeah, and if she's not digging the spotlight now, wait till the lead up to the Tokyo Olympics next <laughs> yeah. year. It's 
going to get even more intense. Lots to get to on the show this morning. Nick Kyrgios is creating controversy. Surprised? Wow. We'll take a look at really? his latest rhubarb and where it goes from here. A montage of Nick Kyrgios shenanigans from around the U.S. this summer. They've been costly shenanigans, 113 grand in Cincinnati. But guys, he was mostly buttoned up against Stevie Johnson, wasn't he? Mostly, but I mean, the the tennis was phenomenal. You see the movement there, little dance, all that stuff is great. He's still arguing with the umpire, talking about the fans coming in. Uh, Stevie, in fact, had to tell him, "Hey, let's let's just play tennis. Stop with all the nonsense." And he, he doesn't. And and I think he. he is upset. You see a little bit of a frosty handshake, and Steve's one of the nicer guys on tour, and uh, Nick got under his skin. Uh, yeah, and I'm not sure uh, stop the shenanigans were the words that Stevie Johnson used <laughs> when he talked. We're on daytime today. TV. Uh, you thank know? you for making that adjustment. So, so, for the most part, Nick was okay on Tuesday until he got to his post-match press conference and was asked about that six-figure fine that he drew in Cincinnati, and he gave this answer. The ATP is pretty corrupt anyway, so I'm not fussed about the fine at all, end quote. Well, you can't call the ATP corrupt when you're an ATP player. That's a no-no. And the ATP came out with a statement right away saying that Kyrgios' comments will be assessed under the player major offense provision of the ATP rules and that Gail Bradshaw, who's the ATP's executive vice president of rules and competition, will investigate and make a determination on next steps, including a possible suspension. Well, after that, Nick quickly backpedaled and issued a statement of his own saying in part, quote, I would like to clarify my comment around the ATP being corrupt. It was not the correct choice of words. My point and intention was to address what I see as a double standard rather than corruption. My issue is around others doing the same or similar behavior and not getting sanctioned. And so, Paul, let me start with this. What kind of double standard? There's nobody else who behaves like him. Well, I think he's specifically talking about the terminology. I, I think, you know, the challenge is trying to be totally subjective about these evaluations, right? And, and let's be honest, the fact of life is there is a, a term called differentiation, and people are treated differently depending on who they are. Is it fair? Absolutely not. Is it there? Absolutely. And the balance is trying to figure it out. And for Nick, for me, it's very frustrating because he is spectacular. His tennis is absolutely amazing. And the amount of energy that he loses by when he gets off track, that is really distracting. The content of it can be very detrimental. It's absolutely wrong in many instances, as we saw uh, in Cincinnati and other events. And there are times where he's spectacular. So that's why we're always talking about it. We saw it in Washington, D.C., where he engaged so many fans. He was captivating, did so many great things. It's that balance and the volatility of the peaks and the valleys, which makes it so tough. So. The comments in the press conference, that's difficult. The tour, I mean, is that really a major offense? Look, let's go back and see some of the other press conferences, guys. There's some stuff in there that's very close to being uh, well worth analyzed. So I, I think Nick retracted it in, in the uh, content, I guess in the heat of the moment, it came out wrong. But there's so much to chat about. I want to try and do something that I've gotten better at as I've aged, which is to put myself in someone else's shoes and try and look at it from their lens. So let's let's look at it from the Nick Curios lens, who's who's pretty close with a guy named Bernard Tomic, who got nailed with a pretty hefty fine at Wimbledon this year for not giving his best efforts. And 
compared to some of the other score lines in that tournament, you could see why Nick would think that maybe there's, they're out to get us in a way. You know, maybe that's the lens that he's coming from. We're not condoning his behavior. I want whoever wrote his tweet for him to be my speechwriter someday <laughs> that was beautifully crafted. But the point is that he he's looking at it from his lens of being sort of beaten down in some ways. And yeah, he takes responsibility and says, I don't, you know, I'm making some bad choices and all of that. So that's his lens. Now, there's the other lens, which is the rest of the world that says you can't simply call the ATP corrupt. So at least he had the good sense or his management did to backtrack on that and try and take a little bit of the heat off. But it's a shame because he played some pretty spellbinding tennis against Steve Johnson. And this is now what we're talking about. I mean, in, in a way, I wish we, I mean, of course, we wish we didn't have to talk about this. Years ago, when he became a, a sensation by playing so well at the Australian Open, we were hoping that, that by now he would be buttoned up like some of the other players without losing, you know, some of the things that make him so charismatic. He's not been able to do that. This is who he is. This is what it seems like we're going to have on a go forward basis. We, Brett, how many times have we said it in commentary calling his matches? At least five times in Washington, D.C. We have to just sort of accept this, and yes, we have to talk about the bad stuff, but let's also give him credit for when the good stuff happens. But James, yeah. I know he's he's entertaining, and I know he appeals to the millennials with his attitude and all that stuff, but couldn't the argument be made that not only is there not a double standard when it comes to his behavior, he's actually given a pass. How about that thing in Washington, D.C., when he threw the water bottle against the chair umpire's chair? He didn't get dinged up for that. He, he There are actually, if you go by the code of conduct and warning point game, 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 there are matches where he could have been defaulted, where he was still in there. Is that a valid argument? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's either way. I think a double standard is sometimes earned. I think um, it's by your behavior, by your reputation, by what you've done before. And for me, it's tough to say it's a double standard when there isn't someone else to compare it to. Who else on tour has thrown a chair, has called a, an umpire a bleeping tool, has spat at an umpire, has done those kind of things? You can't really compare it to someone else. Well, what, what was their fine? No one's done that. So if you want to say you've been punished harshly, you can agree there. But you can't say someone's done the exact same things. And some guys, you know, have gotten fined, have done something, but they've done it once, and then they've never had any sort of um, counter, you know, any uh, encounter again. And so, yeah, they, the fine's going to be different there. I think what Tsitsipas did the other day, uh, making a crass generalization towards an umpire, that was that was awful and disgusting. Yeah. I don't know what his punishment will be, but yeah, that could be that could be harsh. But does he have the same history? And with Nick Kyrgios, you've got a history of these things, so he's going to be punished harshly. And that's not necessarily a double standard. That's an earned reputation. Down the line, yes or no, should Nick Kyrgios be suspended, Jim? Um, I think probably. No. I say no. One yes, two no's. You can uh, probably. Let, let us know <laughs> probably and two no's. Let us know what you think. Hit us on all the social media platforms at Tennis Channel and uh, let us know if you think that Nick should be suspended. He plays the French wildcard Antoine Hoang on grandstand tonight. Much more to come on this edition of TC Live. Nine matches complete on a rain-soaked Wednesday. Very busy Thursday. Sasha Zverev will be part of that. He'll take on Big Foe in round two. Just starting things up on this Thursday at the 2019 U.S. Open. You want to catch up on everything that is going on that's already happened and is coming up. Go to usopen.org. It'll let you in on everything you need to know about week one of the U.S. Open, including this match, Bradley Klon, James, against 
Kenya Shikori, who five years ago got to the finals here. Yeah, for Bradley Klon, it, it's a good effort getting to the second round. He had, he had a big win in the first round. He's, he's ranked around 100 in the world, 102 coming in. So it, for him to get one win is good. And coming up against top 10 player in Kenya Shikori, it, it's a tough matchup for him because Bradley Klon does have a big serve. He's got a big first serve. Lefty uses that ability and then goes for his shots. And for Kenya Shikori, I think it's a great sign. He had 20 break point opportunities in this match. He converted eight of them. And to do that against Bradley Klon, who granted is ranked 100 in the world. He's still a guy that does a great job of taking care of his serve. So for Kane Ishikori, good effort, good playing, good returning, good to see him healthy and playing this well again. Do you like this section of the draw where uh, where Kay is sitting? I, I do. With Grigor Dimitrov getting through with the Torich uh, retirement okay? or withdrawal. Is this part of the draw okay? I think this is better than okay. <laughs> what do you think, Paul? You, th you want to get lace him back up and get back in there? I don't know. It's a, it's a good section. And Grigor Dimitrov, you hope he's getting back on form. But um, with that being the most dangerous uh, part in his section, I, I like Kay Nishikori's chances getting through here. All right, Lindsay Davenport also on the rocket desk for us. How well did Madison Keys play? All these people who at least got to play under the roof. What yesterday. an advantage that was. Right? Players like Kay and also Madison, not only did they get their matches in, but those perfect conditions with the roof closed. And, and Madison really played so well yesterday against Zhu. Again, these are conditions Madison loves. The roof was closed. It was really perfect serving conditions. And Zhu was played a good match in the beginning similar to the previous round Madison not quite as sharp at the beginning of this match this first set was pretty close and then late in the first set Madison found that extra gear and really started to focus found the range on her forehand she was controlling points right now when that forehand is on she's not making those unforced errors hit a lot of winners and is serving well those are the two key things for Madison to do well here she, I mean she she already won a tournament on clay she now she's won her biggest ever tournament on hard a couple of weeks ago. She's in pretty good shape. Ah, like this this is, I think this is a very tough draw. Whoever comes through this section is going to be playing good tennis. Svitolina took out Venus yesterday in a fantastic match. But how about for Keys? Potentially, most likely playing Sophia Kennan in the third round to play Yastremska or Svitolina. This is a quality section. Yeah. A lot of good, tough players here. Can I ask you, you think that is good for Maddie, that she's got to concentrate so hard in week one? I think it's good anytime you get through week one. And if you're able to get through a tough section of the drawing, whoever comes through is going to be feeling pretty good about their chances come week two. Kennan's tough, though. Kennan beat Madison a couple of months ago. Madison then beat her in Cincy a couple weeks ago. I wouldn't count Kennan out of any match at any time. She is a competitor. All right. Paul Anacone, another finalist here not that many years ago, Karolina Pliskova. What do you think of Kaplish and how she played yesterday? Look, I, I think she's dangerous. Uh, I think that she has the potential to play great tennis. And the scoreline yesterday showed her at her finest. And, Lindsay, we've talked about this, and you mentioned the conditions. When you can play in a controlled environment, this is a great thing for Pliskova. This is exactly what she likes to do. There's not elements to deal with. She can use the big serve, power groundies and dictate play and that's exactly what she did in the controlled environment yesterday nice little adjustment here around the post just flick it down the line for a winner and uh, I think she's one of these players that's floating a little bit under the radar we're not talking a ton about her um, not a great summer couple quarterfinal efforts but I, I just wonder if there's a little bit of that residual effect of a tough loss at Wimbledon 13 11 in the third to Mukova is that does that resonate with her or not and again in a section that I think she can control it with a lot of power.
Oh, what do we what do we like about this section of Pliskovich's draw? I think this is a, a workable section for Pliskova Conte. You never want to underestimate her. No. But I think this is I think Paul said it right. This is a section where Pliskova really is in control. She she controls her own destiny here. Yep. Pliskova for me was that under the radar pick to possibly make a deep run, possibly make it to the finals. Uh, and even the, even a champion with it. Your is, pick? Is, yeah, I, I picked okay. early on. This was it's documented. It's Someone pulled it up from, it from Hayden. We'll Hayden, when we, is Hayden a couple too. weeks ago. Who's going to win the women's draw? I threw out Carolina Pliskova. <laughs> I think uh, I think she does have a chance, um, just because it's so wide open. And, and I do like that section of the draw and the way she played yesterday. Even almost got a smile out of her with the uh, with the around the net post uh, winner. <laughs> I, I like that. It means she's got to be in a pretty good mood if you almost got a smile out of her. I got to say those conditions in Ash, whether yeah. the roof's closed or open, they play pretty perfect now. That roof has really controlled the environment down low on courtside. If Pliskova can play a lot of matches on that court, it's a good court for a server these days. It's not nearly as blustery as it used to be. That could be something. Our court assignments could determine a lot as well. All right. We're going to be watching for all of that. The weather today is beautiful. No need for that roof. Rod Laver. How many people got as high as the great Rod Laver? We'll have a salute to him. The 50th anniversary of his second Grand Slam when we come back. The man really is, for such a little guy, he really is a giant. Martina, I talked to Rod earlier this year, and he explained to me that back when he was playing his tennis, three of the four majors were on grass. He said, some of the grass was so rubbish, and we saw it when he was winning at Forest Hills. He said, we had to serve in volley. <laughs> Which makes his result more amazing. Winning 6-1, 6-2, 6-2 against Roach on that court. I mean, it was a cow pasture. That was, those were the worst grass courts. I mean, I love playing on grass, but Forest Stills grass was just another story. So, <laughs> unbelievable, but what an amazing man, what an amazing achievement. That's why you serve in Bali as well. And you're a redhead. Yeah. Do you, know, you know, I mean, you must have a deep appreciation. Well, I was lucky man. enough to be training in Palm Springs when Rod was living out there in the early 90s, and he would come out and do two-on-ones on the court with another redhead lefty from Australia, Mark Woodford, the great doubles and singles player. Uh, what I love about Rod Laver is how the players today have an appreciation yes. for him because they play in the Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne, because they've seen him be being celebrated on the 50th anniversary at all four of these majors this year, because Roger Federer created the Laver Cup in his honor. There's just a lot of connected tissue to a, a generation that is not always connected to its past. So it's really nice that, that Rod is prominent here in this 50th year. He was out here. We were all celebrating him on Monday night, the opening night of the 2019 U.S. Open. What's really been nice, John, is watching. This guy is doing a major victory lap all over the world this year. He was at the Australian Open. He was in Paris. He was at Wimbledon. Um, you know. He's not afraid to be traveling at this uh, in his dotage. He's doing great. And uh, as Jim said, I mean, this this is an achievement that has aged well. And uh, when I did that piece, I went to newspapers.com, a great resource. And it was remarkable how little fanfare this bid for history got. And yet I think it starts with Roger Federer, but everyone has stepped in line. And I think that as more and more players have failed to achieve this for everything the big three has done, they have not been able to win these four majors. I think this achievement is aging very well. You won seven majors in a row, right? Six. Six, Six majors in a row, but you didn't win the calendar Grand Slam. I, How yeah. asterisky is that whole thing? And can, is there a guy who can, who yeah. can pull this off? It was bad luck for me because uh, I won it in the same sequence as Rod Labor, but the Australian Open was played in November. So, you know, I won six in a row, but not in the right order. Nice uh, going. Anyhow, uh, and, and by, the way, by the way, back then, there was not one reporter that went down there. To, the to Australia. Is that right? Seventh in a row. Again, it's just so much more attention on everything now, but it's great that tennis is doing a much better job 
connecting the past to the present and going to the future. Nice. I think we've been amiss yeah. on that front, and now we're catching up, so it's and, nice. And what a humble man he is yeah. for all of his greatness. And I say we're all celebrating him traveling the world right now. So too beer distributors, because he's still having a cold bevy every now and then. <laughs> we enjoyed one with he's him on the eve of this championship, my wife and I. Um, Rocket is a great storyteller, and he's just a lovely human being. That's absolutely right. We are going to be spending the next two weeks celebrating the great Rod Laver. Take a break, come back with a lot more to catch up with on this very busy Thursday in New York. Now you can find Top Tennis Podcasts all in one place with the new Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Just go to tennis.com slash podcasts and listen to or download episodes from your preferred podcast provider. And there are news and views to be had. All right, let's go over some matches that were carried over. From the rain, Lindsay, we start with Bianca Andreescu against Kirsten Flipkins. How's this young Canadian kid going to do at the Open? I think she's going to do okay. Flipkins may be one of the few players that has just as much variety as Andreescu, but not the same amount of confidence and not the same amount of weapons, especially with the forehand. Andreescu can finish points. Flipkins hasn't been to a third round since her Wimbledon run over five years ago. She hasn't played her best tennis at the majors these last few years. I think Andreescu, if you saw her play her first round, it was packed out yeah, on the field court. Word, she word draws a crowd now. <laughs> 39 and 4 on the year. This was against the young American. Look how packed it was. But also look what court that is. I don't think it's going to be uh, much longer before she moves on to bigger venues. But Andrescu Linz, contender? Absolutely. She, I think she's on the list of those five players who are the favorites to win this title, even though it's new territory for her. Right. Paul, are you putting her in that fistful of favorites? Oh, absolutely. And my biggest concern for Andrescu really is how healthy can she yeah. stay through seven matches okay. of an event here. Look, we saw her play so well at the beginning of the year and then again in Canada playing some terrific tennis. Now at the U.S. Open, a lot of pressure, a lot of matches. This time of year, nine months in, can she maintain the health? But tennis, I'm not concerned at all about her tennis. All right, John, we go to Petkovic and Kvitova. Petkovic now living in Brooklyn? Yeah, you like that? Huh? Oh, this is her, uh, her writing career. She's I have a artist. feeling she's a little, she likes the New York vibe a little more than Petra Kvitova. Could that be? Yeah, I think uh, I think there are a lot of people that like the New York vibe, perhaps more than Petra Kvitova. <laughs> but uh, very comfortable here is Petkovic. They've played each other 10 times, five all in the head-to-head. Yeah. -head. The last time they played Australia last year, 10 8 in the third. So there's a lot of history here. I think Kvitova is a bit sort of the seeded wild card of we know <laughs> what she can do. She reached the finals of the last hardcore major. I think there's some concerns about that left forearm. I think health again for the second match in a row is a big question here. Yeah, for sure. And Kvitova has been playing hampered by that arm injury since before the French Open. Right. And it's fine. You can get through one major. And she said, admittedly, I played Wimbledon. I wasn't really ready, but I wasn't going to miss Wimbledon. But it has hampered her practice. And then when you have three months of that, and you're not able to practice at 100%. She's had to pull out of some more tournaments. I worry about that a couple months down the line at a tournament like this. Maybe she can catch fire. I mean, when she's ready to go and her shots are falling in, she can beat anybody. That hasn't been there, though, lately. Yeah, and the big concern about playing Andrea Petkovic is former top 10 player. She's not going to be panicked. She's not going to be in awe of the situation. And uh, for Petkovic, I think if she stays close, that's going to be a good opportunity for her. Um, but, yeah, it's got to be frustrating for Kvitova. We all know what it's like when you get injured. It starts to drain the optimism. It starts to get very tiring. And for Petra, it's been a tough year. Seated wild card. I'm kind of... I feel like Johnny <laughs> Journalism here. <laughs> all right. How about 
Sonia Kennan against Laura Sigmund. Linz, what do you think? I think that's a pretty straightforward match for Kennan. And she played very well in her opening match against Vandewey. She was tested in that first set. She withstood the challenge of Vandewey in her big game, able to take control in the second set. But Sigmund, she doesn't take control of matches. She can't hit Kennan off the court. That is when Kennan gets in trouble against the big servers and the players that can go after their shots. I, I think she gets through pretty comfortably today. Hi. I saw a smile there from Kennan. She plays potentially Madison Keys if she wins that match in the third round. That is a match to watch, guys. Yeah, no kidding. All right, Sonia Kennan has won so many matches in 2019, and it's nice that all of a sudden, Paul, Denis Shapovalov is winning again. Is he going to get past Loxonen? Well, he was impressive against countryman Felix Ojeali Asim. Just played some terrific tennis, straightforward power tennis, two uh, 6 1 sets to start the match. And he has struggled this year, but when you see the lefty come out firing like this on all cylinders, and to be able to take the racket out of Ojeali Asim's hands is a tough task indeed. And that's exactly what Shapovalov did and look he has Mikhail Yushni in his corner right now former so, U.S. Yeah, Open right. semifinals right so he's trying to get a couple new perhaps philosophies a new voice in his head and it really uh, took root in that first round Shapovalov is so dangerous if he does catch fire I can promise you no one wants to see him on the other side of the net this is the reward for an upset right that you beat a seated player early that means you get a lighter opponent in your next round he gets that and locks and he should be a considerable favorite Shapovalov and I think you're right Paul I think that the Russian military salute is in order for uh, Mikhail Yushni <laughs> absolutely they hooked up. he's been terrific so uh, nice to see Dennis getting it together sometimes that that addition of a new coach it goes great and sometimes it doesn't and Shapovalov you know he always has his mom there but these last few months haven't been great something good is going on he played well in Winston-Salem there's a lot of good momentum right now for Shapovalov all right what do we think about the guy who won this title five years ago Marin Cilic because he's going to be playing up against Marcel Steba what are, what are we thinking you know I had, to, I had to think about that I know, um, I know. it's been a rough year for uh, Marin Cilic obviously his track record here Speaks for itself. Nice draw today. I don't know long term. I don't know where his, his game is. This has not been a great 2019 for Chilich. He's had some injuries, but also just some, some sort of vacant performances. How careful, how carefully are you watching Chilich? Well, okay, well, carefully. I guess that's a good word. I mean, he, look, he, he has had a struggle, right? He's been struggling lately, but we know how dangerous he can be. Huge serve, very powerful ground strokes. He's one of the most professional guys on tour. He ticks all boxes. Has former top tenor Wayne Ferreira in his corner now, who has a lot of words of wisdom, understands the game extremely well. And I think most importantly, Ferreira understands Chilich's game. And I think right now most of Chilich's issues are confidence. And if you win a couple matches here, then that confidence grows exponentially. All right. We're going to have to watch for all of that. We're going to take another break. You know who's arrived? Hey, bro. It's the Bryan brothers. Oh, man. They look alike, those guys. We should keep an <laughs> eye on them, too. 2019 U.S. Open. Our coverage continues in a moment. Coco Goff is playing well again. She she seems unoverwhelmable. Yeah, you know, after her first match, I'm like, I was most impressed by how she figured out her way to win the match. But of course, overall view, how well does she handle all of this? It's yes. like she was born for this. She was bred for this. She was uh, really, I mean, everything. She's got all the bases covered from her family, the team. 
uh, and she's putting it together. I mean, she has no doubt in her head that this is where she belongs and she's going to be a champion. Just 15 years old. Right? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, for a lot of this week, she's been practicing on the indoor courts. It's a little more quiet over there. I don't think many players even knew that there were five indoor courts until yesterday when the rain came and they realized, oh, where are we going to hit? But I have to love the vibe that's out on the court. It's very light. There's not yeah. someone there barking orders at her. No one's there yelling at her. She obviously has hitting partners and her coach and her, her dad. There's people on the court. It's a very light atmosphere. It really seems like everyone around her has a very good handle on the fact that this is a 15-year-old. Let's keep this fun. Yes. They're playing some fun cross-court doubles games. Everything out there looked like, okay, this is how you'd want to handle it if it was a 15-year-old dealing with this kind of pressure. A couple of years ago, I watched Coco Goff lose in the junior final here. She was only 13 years old to Amanda Anasimova, and we all know how, how well she is playing these days. She was teary-eyed at the beginning of the press conference. She recovered then at 13 yeah, exactly. and said, I know what I want to do. I know where I want to go. And already, she's she's got this kind of a resume. She problem solved during the press conference, and that's, that's how she exactly, plays tennis. Martina, that's exactly right. She is just so poised. And Lindsay and I, Martina, were texting during the Katie McNally Serena match last night, and we were, we were talking about the fact that it's Anna Samova and Coco and Katie McNally who hasn't had the kind of attention they've had. And Lindsay, we feel like that's one of the reasons why Katie's playing so well too. The, these three yeah, kids pushing each other. They are full of ambition and poise. There's no doubting this generation. The last 10 or 15 years, we've had players come up that have had a lot of attention on them and think, gosh, I'm not really sure about their games. There is no doubting this generation. You name three, and there are others. Whitney Osigwe, even who Coco Goff played, Potapova. Yeah. I mean, these this generation knows how to play. They know how to compete, and they know what they want. And you could say the same about Anna Samova. It, it's a pretty exciting time right now for women's tennis if you think about what's coming in the next two to five to, to ten years. And I think we can, big picture, take it back to feminism. You know, and women belonging and feeling equal. These girls, there's no doubt in their mind that they should be here competing and, and playing with everybody and have that confidence and poise and focus and not have to make excuses for why they want to be a tennis player. It's yeah. fantastic to see that. It really is. And it's also fun to see how the parents of these kids are reacting as well at Wimbledon. Coco's mom and father. <laughs> That's the candy dance there, yeah. as this kid made her way into the fourth round, beating Venus along the way, Linz. It was interesting the other day on Armstrong, and, and Coco Goff needed more energy. She communicated that to her box after that first set. They got up after almost every single point Coco won, yeah. and, but she felt like she needed some energy. She knew she was flat in that first set. She looks to her parents for that. I mean, look at look at that celebration. That's great. And she's They've got 15. energy. She needed it. They were there. They provided it for her. She was able to turn her game around. But that was some of the best moments at Wimbledon, was seeing how both mother and father were reacting. That's not an easy position to be in for them. She just seems so put together, so intelligent, so well-trained. She plays Tameo Babish, the veteran. She knows her way around the tennis court. Tima is a dangerous player. She's got a huge backhand. Not that mobile, but much better doubles player than singles player. So winnable match for Coco. At the same time, Tima will have nothing to lose. Uh, maybe, oh, she may feel some pressure, but Definitely the pressure is more on Coco with the, all the attention on her, but she's handled it so well so far. Yeah, she sure has. And how she knew to ask her box, give me some energy. Exactly. No, I for mean, sure. You know, this is so beyond tennis. I mean, she's just not tennis, the IQ, but the emotional IQ. We'll, 
We're you can talk take, a little yeah. bit about Bobo, sorry, yeah, real please. fast. I mean, she hasn't won back-to-back -back tour level matches since April of 2018. Wow. This is a player with not a lot of not confidence. confidence. She did qualify. She and has better in depth. No, so I, I think this is a, a good opportunity for Coco. No doubt. And if Coco Goff puts on another great performance, it won't just be her mom who is dancing in the stands. Coco Goff, along with Bianca Andreescu, have been the two breakout stories on the women's side. In 2019, we're going to take a break. Kena Shikori arriving for work. He was one of the nine players who got to complete his match yesterday. Runner-up five years ago to Marin Cilic beat Bradley Klon. Awaits his third-round opponent to be determined today. The Tennis Channel DraftKings Fantasy lineup competition is up and running. Uh, we put together the six-player team yesterday. Unfortunately, only four of the six players got to complete their matches. How did that go? Uh, three and one, which isn't bad. Lauren Davis, who I know you took for that value. No, that was John's pick. It was a value that was, pick. That was that's not that's my value. pick. Exactly. That's, no. uh, I'll stand by that. All right. Well, let's How do we do? How do we life do? with a salary cap is difficult. Three and one, decent effort. So we're switching today, no longer picking six-player teams. Each one of our analysts is going to pick we were a fighting. player, okay, to advise those of you who are competing on DraftKings, bearing in mind that, that you have to be within your $50,000 budget to pick your six-player team. And so, uh, Jim, would you pick first? I'm going to go with uh, the big fella, one-time champion here, Marin Cilic. She's going up against Marcel Stebe of Germany. I like him, big favorite, and I think you can get a lot of aces out of Cilic. You get extra bang for your buck in this competition. If you get more aces, I think he'll deliver. All right, uh, that is a $10,500 pick. John, who are you taking? Again, uh, Jim stresses, I will as well. These are about value picks. We're not necessarily picking upsets, but I have Jean Lenard Struff, the 29-year-old German, against John Isner. He's never beaten Isner, but he's playing well this year. Inside the top 50, hard server. Maybe we'll get some aces, but look at the value there, $6,900. That, to me, says steal. So John takes Struff over Isner. Lindsay? Okay, I didn't need to change my pick. Can yeah. we do that? Audible. I'm going Isner. Ah. <laughs> oh. I'm going to oh. go against John <laughs> pick Isner. I hope they're not mad at me. I hope it's not too late. There we go. 7,700. Right. Aces. You're going for the ace Aces points. Aces and, right. and the victory. All right, you can take their advice or go off the menu. Go to DraftKings.com to pick your six-player team at the U.S. Open. $50,000 salary cap when you do. By the way, tomorrow on TC Live, we will have a very special tribute. It was 40 years ago that the pigtailed pixie from Rolling Hills, California, showed up at the U.S. Open at age 16 and won the whole darn thing. Mary Carrillo is going to lead our look back on the 40th anniversary of Tracy Austin's first U.S. Open title. Raise your hand if you remember. I remember. Yeah. I remember, yeah. Okay. No but one else is raising your hand? I remember. I was three. We're watching highlights of Martina and Tracy. All right. You were three. I, rem the, I mean, so, the dresses remember. alone were, were memorable, right? I remember the video, though, right? Yes, yeah. I do. You were lens. No, she was one of my idols. I'm just saying, I don't remember it at the time she won. I heard lots about it. I've seen about it. I grew up idolizing her. Can't wait for the piece. Uh, and Tracy is going to join us on TC Lot tomorrow to reflect back on 40 years ago. Hard to believe it's been that long, although she was a baby. Here's Joe Conta. She is arriving for work on this Thursday. She will play Gasparian of Russia in the second round. She's the 16th seed. Lady Joe on TC Lot. Where the heck's the racket room? It's right there, and they are hard at work stringing. Is it true? True or false? Lindsay Davenport has a stringing machine in her garage. Oh, absolutely true. 
Okay. Absolutely. How fast can you string a racket? Well, me, about an hour and 17 minutes. My husband, about 17, 16 <laughs> minutes if he's in a real big hurry. Uh, I've tried a couple times. Yeah, That's no, every awesome. night. You ever miss a grommet? That's such a bummer. I, it was it was laughable. My stringing lesson. We, we won't go back to that. All right, uh, <laughs> we'll check out the uh, star power that was in the stands at the open last night. People Magazine and Extra Extra bring us stars in the stands. Starting with Natalia Dyer of Stranger Ooh. Things on Netflix. You're a That's fan. That's Nancy. Absolutely. She actually came on a press pass from the Hawkins Post. Oh, we jest. Uh, you beat the Demi Gorgon and you get tennis tickets. Oh, we jest. You guys don't watch Stranger Things. I'm you, you just said like 20 words, Strangers, none of which I understood. That's Nancy from Stranger Things okay. to the uh, to the under 40 set. Uh, great show and nice to see her joining us. Okay, change. Gigi Haddad is a supermodel. We know who she and she has a, a tennis connection. A roundabout way in our tennis family, a former step sister of Tommy Haas's wife. So do we consider her? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's exactly. by marriage, right? Exactly. Through David Foster. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, we get it. Nice, nice to, to see you. Uh, look. She's into it. I like right. it. Volleyball star at Malibu High School. Change. Queen Latifah, or in this case, Queen's Latifah? Yeah, right. Comes out to Queens, watches Serena the Queen against Katie McNally from the Queen City. A veritable royal court. Do you know what her first album was called? Queens. Hail, all hail the queen. All right. We think we got a theme here. I think so. Perfect. For more stars in the stands and entertainment news, go to people.com and make sure you check out the premiere of the new show Extra Extra, hosted by Billy Bush. It premieres on Fox on September 9th. We want to take a look at some matches on today's menu using the UTR, Universal Tennis Rating, and we will start with Coco Goff's match against Tamea Babosh. Interesting to see Coco's UTR having played just briefly at the pro level. Yeah, exactly. And this is one of those where you throw the ranking aside and you can see Coco has been the hotter player these last few months and the last year. Just barely a higher UTR for the year. But what this won't take account is the fans exactly. and the court and the energy. This is purely about their level these last few months. It'll be interesting to see how both players respond out there. Armstrong will be rocking and rocking for Coco. I would love to see that algorithm built where somehow they could quantify an account for playing on a show court, big match, big opportunity for Coco, and obviously having the fans behind them. I was surprised. They're not altogether far apart in the rankings. This right. is a full-time pro in Babosh, and uh, Coco Goff obviously made her debut at Wimbledon. That, that is uh, not a big rankings differential from a part-time player and a full-time player. Yeah, up to 112 in the live rankings could get very close to the top 100 with a win in this match. Uh, the isner Struff match was big in our DraftKings selections. Here's the oh, UTRs. Oh, you're killing the UTR. Come so Struff uh, has the better UTR uh, lower ranking. I like that. I think that melds well with our DraftKings pick in the prior section, Lindsay. Um, Struve's had a very nice year. Uh, he's in the top 40. 29-year-old German has had some nice wins, beating Shapovalov. This is a tough match for John, another big server, so we're not going to have a lot of long points, perhaps. But Struve is sort of a late bloomer in tennis, a player to watch. I like him a lot. I just don't like to underestimate John, and you feel like he hasn't been playing his best tennis these last few months. But I, I don't know. I think it's going to kick into gear. I think he likes his draw here if he can get through some of these first-round matches. He's always got the serve working in, in his half. But that is a pretty significant difference on UTR. Yeah, Two yeah. tenths, that's yeah. pretty big in Stroop's favor. All right, you can check out the UTR data on your favorite player by going to myutr.com. When we come back, it's Coach's Corner time. The gang has some thoughts on the service toss of Stefano Tsitsipas. If he listens to the advice, he might not be this miffed. Back with more in a moment.
A reminder that you can stay connected to the U.S. Open on Facebook and Twitter by horse, Instagram, YouTube. <laughs> Join the conversation with <laughs> hashtag U.S. Open. Well, we lost one of the great stars on the ATP Tour. This man, Stefano Tsitsipas, who played brilliantly to defeat Roger Federer and make a great run at this year's Australian Open. He was mesmerizing. And he went on and played one of the best matches at Roland Garros against that guy, Stan Wawrinka. It went five. It was an absolute classic. And it seems as though after losing this match, he has not recovered. Cici Pass even admits it. Since the French Open, have a look. Five opening round matches, a lot of tough losses. And he was out in the opening round of both Wimbledon and here at the U.S. Open. He has been beyond consolation talking about what these losses have been like and uh, trying to explain it all. And that brings us to today's Coach's Corner. I don't feel inspired. That's a hard thing to hear from a guy who has played such inspiring tennis. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, he is a very emotional player. He thrives on that stuff. Some of the stuff that he mentioned in that press conference is about being a professional, though, right? You have routines. You have the same themes that you use. The inspiration comes from inside, and right now there's some frustration. We're seeing some patterns that are a little bit challenging for him, but let's not despair too much. He's had a terrific year. We saw him in the semifinals of Australia. Um, he's gotten to the semis and finals of uh, Madrid and Rome, so he's had a one esteril. He's had a good year, but a couple troubling themes, Jim. Uh, and I took some uh, looks at patterns in place. Some of it is shot selection. Watch this backing up. Flicks the rolling backhand and then here pulls the forehand inside in. Shot selection's been a little challenging. That ball, he should have been well inside the baseline. Look how lateral he's playing. And then a moving drop shot out from the doubles alley. That's because of the shot selection, the one before. And then right here, serve and volley. That's a great idea, but you can't roll it in in the middle of the box and just hope the player misses. And that serve, that second serve, Jim, is an area that we saw some changes in that maybe has led to some slide form. Well, one of the things that, that has been a feature it has been uh, sort of the double fault situation with him. He's had some troubles with the double faults, but the ball toss is so erratic for him. It's something that the more you watch him, the more noticeable yeah. it begins. Yeah. You've talked about how it's tough to have a good serve when it requires good footwork. <laughs> got I was talking about toss. him. He falls to his left far more than the average player. His weight doesn't follow the, the direction of the ball when he's serving. And the width of his ball toss is just amazing. The beehive is what we call it. This was in his first round loss against Rublev. Nearly two feet in the deuce court, over two feet in the ad court. So he's throwing the ball up, and it's not just the width. I mean, this is Federer, by the way, in comparison, just to give you some context, less than one foot for Federer. And then if we flip it to the side, then it's another problem comparing it to Federer. Look at, at the depth differential. I mean, the ball toss is wow. going sometimes well into the court. Sometimes it's right on top of the baseline. That is a lot of, those are a lot of moving parts to try and put together. And there's a reason Federer serve is so consistent is because he doesn't have to worry where the ball toss is going to be. And that's something that Tsitsipas is going to need to correct. He is going to need to do some work on that ball toss to make sure that it's in a little more stable position. Look, sometimes players will move the ball toss around to try and confuse their opponents and try and use that as subterfuge and fool them where they're going. Yeah. This is not that. This is just a little too much commotion, Mary, in the motion. That's commotion in the motion. I like that. I, I do, too. Let's talk about the sissy posse. I mean, he's got his father. He's got his mom. Right, who was a professional tennis player. He spends time with Patrick Muradoglu as well, and it seems as though he 
He could use something else, maybe someone else. What about Leander Pace has been around uh, as part of his support team this summer. If you were part of the CC Posse, <laughs> what would you be telling this guy? I mean, uh, how do you simplify, clarify? Well, I think one of the things, and that's why I talked about shot selection first on. I mean, one of the things I would give him, try to give him a little bit more clarity of game plan. Uh, he's extremely talented, able to do a lot of different things. What do you want him to do? But I, I, want, I want him to use that uh, variety in terms of the ability to play north-south a little bit more. Sometimes he gets lulled into just lateral play along the baseline. And in the clip we saw, when he gets on the baseline, sometimes he's deep behind the baseline. That brings him back to the field. When he combines that and uses north-south and comes forward, that gets him to a new level. When he's confident, clear, and committed, that happens regularly. It happens consistently. When he's reactive, that's lack of confidence, and that makes him vulnerable. So if you had to give the old north and south on Stefano Sissipas, if you had a chance to sit down with that guy? Blow the suds off a couple. You would tell him what, what, what? Well, look, I, Paul is an expert coach. I, I think something else that we might want to discuss with him if we had a moment is how are you dealing with your newfound fame and the landscape that you find yourself in? Because things have shifted a lot underneath his feet in the last year. So some of this might also just be a reaction to the newfound attention and the microscope that he's living in. And also, frankly, his expectations may have gotten outsized. He's talked about how once he saw the five next to his name in yes. the rankings, that he felt like he needed to make the semis or the finals for every week. That's getting the result ahead of the process. And that's something that's very natural for players in this kind of transitional stage to do. So yeah. um, there are the technical things that we've touched on, but there's also just the perspective issues of it's a process. Let's yeah. just continue to get better and work on the things that we need to work on to be the best player that we can be. And the results will then follow. All right. We're fans of this guy, so we're kind of hoping he pulls it together. Sasha's Zverev, you're sure. Hey, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, so Sasha Zverev, we have seen some great tennis from him. He's trying to pull it together. They got involved in a complicated cockamamie five-setter to get out of the first round. Let's see how he does going forward. U.S. Open 2019 continues on this bright, sunny Thursday, and that's good news for us. More good news. John Wertheim has a new stat of the day. That is good news. This one is in keeping with our theme. Jim's going to be talking about a lot over the weekend of income inequality and how to redistribute tennis wealth. So here, Andy, my, Andy Murray, as we've been talking about, is playing in Mallorca, restarting his career. He has won more than $61 million <laughs> for his career, and that is in prize money. He's like nothing of endorsements. Look at this, the opponents that he's faced. He is uh, tonight, he's playing Matteo Viola who has made $649,000 for his career. That is about 1% of uh, what, is that right? 1%? Yeah, about 1% of what Andy Murray has made for his career. This all goes to the broader point, A, that the wealth is very concentrated at the top of the sport, but also let's pause a moment for Andy Murray, who's really playing and doing whatever it takes to restart his career. He's an ocean away, still going strong in this Mallorca tournament. Yeah. It's got, to be, it's got to be strange for Andy not being in New York. We heard and read a couple of comments about him. Just a little bit of Monday night quarterbacking, kind of intimating maybe I could have been there. But I think this is the right move for him. He's gotten a couple matches in, gets his third one there in Mallorca. And even the better news is, if he feels like it, he can use Rafa's boat, it sounds like. Yeah, that's the standing <laughs> offer. <laughs> that is good news. All right, a little bit of social media. Boris Becker. Uh, Boris Becker got to know the late, great Vitas Karolaitis, and oh, he no. remembers him, as do we all. That 40 years your... ago, Vitas and John McEnroe played for the championship match here. 
and he's been gone for 25 years now. Amazing. That's still kind of hard to believe, no, it isn't is. it, Paul? It's, uh, was tragic, is tragic, but that uh, legacy and memories will go on forever. Yeah, but Boris Becker, we love Vetus too. That was, that's, that was your piece. That was an excellent piece. And uh, Boris joins many of us in applauding you. 30 years since you won here, Boris Becker. Yeah, wow. about anniversary. that. All right, what do we think about these Hall of Fame ballot people? They are famous Hall of Fame nominees. I tell you what, just uh, again, a lot of information. Jonas Bjorkman, a great, great doubles players, nine Grand Slam doubles titles, also an incredibly accomplished singles player. I think the other three, if memory serves me direct, uh, correctly, I think they were better in singles, weren't they? They're pretty good singles players, those three, no? Oh, both Gorni Vanisevic and Conchita Martinez won Wimbledon. You can vote too, by the way. Uh, so that's kind of nice. Go, go, go to the website. Fans can vote and uh, have a say. Yeah. And yesterday, well, we have seen this before from Serena asking for coffee on a changeover. But this kid becomes a barista boy in the, in the middle of the U.S. Open. Because Venus Williams wanted a little drop. Okay. But then she left. And he's okay. like, well, okay, Where's what's my, my move here? Should what do I, I do? take what? it? Do I? <laughs> Back to the bar. What? Is it a we... latte? Is it a chocolate? Where, where should I go with this thing? We need a tip jar next to the uh, <laughs> chairs. This is Venus's thing. She's been very outspoken about her fondness for uh, for mid-match coffee. This is something that's Rainy caught out weather, in other right? sports. Yeah, Rainy exactly. Weather. Why not? need a little caffeination. Hats off to Barista Boy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we need some a nice footwork from him. We need a name tag. Did Venus say, my name is Venus? Did they spell it right? Did, you... <laughs> did they write on the cup, or how did that go? Oh, boy, Venus Williams out of the tournament. Barista boy moves on. And, that, and that's how Got it should shift. be. another shift. I like that. Speaking of footwork, this is a, a great scene. that We get to watch all the players warming up. We got Maria Sakari, maybe? Sonia Cannon? Sonia Cannon, yes. Yeah, that looks Cannon. like Sonia. Uh -huh. Quit. Back on TC Live, and there is Serena emerging from her courtesy tournament car with Patrick Moritoglu in tow. Serena, one of the nine to finish her singles matches yesterday, so a practice day today. She'll play either Shea Suwei or Karolina Mukova in the third round. Which brings us to our rocket shot of the day, coming courtesy of Mr. Federer. We had a bunch to choose from here, guys. Yeah, we did. He dropped the first set of that match, but the next three sets were highlight reel fodder. We had a lot of choices here. Who else could do this at age uh, at age 38? Martina not withstanding. Some nice play in the backcourt from Jouer in the black, but look at that sizzling from Federer. This is where Federer was trying to find his form. He struggled in the first set, especially on the forehand side, but that one, a 97-mile-an-hour winner, that was emphatic. He was starting to pull away at that point. There was also some frustration coming out of some of those shots when he got, once he got a cushion lead. One of his 58 winners in the match as Roger moves on 6-4 in the fourth. It is time for match point. Parting thoughts for the day from our panel. Martina, lead us off. Well, we were talking about who would make the top five of contenders for the women's title and would Ash Barty fit in that. So I'm not going to put them in order. Serena Williams, Blishkova, Halep, Andrescu. Ash Barty makes the top five. And uh, honorable mention, of course, to Osaka, little known unknown defending champion. And Madison Keys, a big dark horse, but she's got a really tough draw. But 
those are my top picks. For the, for the record, your top five was seven. I get it. I get, you're allowed. You're allowed. But Ash Barty made the top five. For sure. John? It's two write-in candidates. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the tennis salon talking about Nick Kyrgios. Let's pivot and talk about another Aussie who's actually a year younger. That's Tanasi Kokonakis. Very talented player, but has a real battle with injuries currently outside the top 200. But he got a wild card, and when he won his first round match, he tweeted, four darn, I'm paraphrasing, four darn, here we go, four damn years. That's how long it's been. A lot of frustration built up, but he won his first match, and as a prize for that, he gets Rafa Nadal. Beating Rafa Nadal in a best-of-five match is perhaps unlikely, but it's worth sparing a moment to acknowledge a guy who's made a nice comeback, full of talent. Keep an eye on Tanasi Kokonakis. Good to see him back in the picture. What was that hashtag there? Did you hashtag read that? Hashtag watch the language. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. He beat us to it. It's exactly. an abbreviation. I think we're clean. Jim? For me, I think about today as being kind of like tennis's version of Lollapalooza. Let's call it Tennis Palooza, shall we? Because we had rain yesterday, which means the outside courts are going to be full of high-seeded players playing all over the grounds. If you have a grounds pass, you needed to get one yesterday because they're sold out from what the USTA tells me. This is going to be an awesome day to be all around the grounds watching amazing tennis. If I'm a fan, I'm parking myself on court five midday. Bianca Andreescu is going to mm. be playing there, followed by Denis Shapovalov. Bring your Maple Leaf flag. That's going to be awesome. And also doubles. So many of our fans love doubles. Double starts today. It's all over the ground. So an amazing day for tennis because we had an unfortunate day yesterday and beautiful weather today as con contrasting to the mist that sort of mystified us yesterday and blocked all the outside courts. Mist mystified us? It did, nice. yeah. Uh, the Coco Golf Show continues today as well. Everybody in the pool who's still remaining. How about a seed, John, that might be in danger? A lot of seeds went out early on the men's side. Who might be in danger today? Um, I'll say Petrich Vinova, who plays Andrea Petkovic. We talked before about Petkovic. Now lives in Brooklyn in the artist community. She's beaten Kvitova five times in their 10 head-to-heads. Kvitova has these left arm injuries. As much because of Kvitova's health as, uh, yeah. as the German, yeah. I, I think she's got a shot. And that's exactly right. I mean, Petra has not been able to practice that much. I wish she had taken longer time off so she would be 100% physically. Uh, but e even when she's 100% physically, she's had a hard time with, uh, with uh, Petkovic. So I agree with you. Yeah, for me, um, it's an American. John Isner is playing a very talented German, Jan Lennard Struff, who can match him for firepower. Maybe not angle into the service box, but he has a bomb of a serve. John's matches tend to be close anyway. This one, I think, promises to have a lot of tight sets in it. So John's going to be need to be as sharp as he was in round one. And let's have a quick thought on the first match of the day on Ash. Big foe and Sasha Zverev, Jim. Zverev has not been in top form. Francis hasn't been either second half of the year. What do you make of this? Yeah, it's two two young guys, uh, a little different. Obviously, the expectations on Zverev are there. And for Francis, he has his ex expectations. He's not favored to win. But they're both trying to generate momentum that hasn't been there lately. wonder how much the crowd will play into this. Zverev can get a bit sulky, but he works hard. But he gets a bit sulky. And Francis lives off that, uh, that emotion. So I think it's a toss-up. Zverev had to go five sets in his first round, or Francis didn't even have to complete the match when his opponent Karlovic retired. Maybe that will factor in as well. All right, all matches that we will have covered for you on tomorrow's edition of TC Live. Quick reminder of how you can watch the U.S. Open on this Thursday. Match coverage starts on ESPN at noon Eastern, continues on ESPN 2 at 6 p.m. Eastern Tennis Channel with encore coverage beginning at midnight. And we'll be back here tomorrow morning with three more hours of TC Live at 8 a.m. Eastern for Martina and John and Jim and our entire tennis. Channel crew, I'm Brett Haber. We leave you with some of our favorite moments from today's TC Live.